Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. You know what? Those those Starbucks cups have the holiday wrappers or cup holders or whatever you want to call them on it. So I'm all gearing up for checking out for the holidays. I know. They came out early this year, but I guess it's not early. I guess... What was it? The first week of November, I feel like yeah, they dropped. Yeah, because I feel like they like wrap in Thanksgiving in with the well, holidays. So mm-hmm. like the holiday stuff comes out. But no, I was I was literally I had three IP meetings yesterday. And in all three of them, they, we were like two of them. We were trying to schedule like another meeting after winter break. And yeah. I, or one of them was like before winter break. And we were just talking. And you know what? This happens to me all the time. I get the whole, what are you doing over winter break? And I'm like... I don't have a winter break. I'm sure. Well, schools, they get two, two to three. three. Yeah. 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 And all these, everyone that works for districts have all this time off. And I'm sitting here and I'm sure our parents that are listening can relate. You don't get a winter break. Yeah. So the kids are home. So <laughs> I'm always like, uh, what winter break? Yeah. Cause that's yeah. not a thing. Yeah. I mean, it's world. nice. It, I mean, I think our area compared to like other areas of the law we follow the natural kind of school schedule which is which is nice but i remember when i was doing family law like we would at this time of year get letters because you had to notify the court and then like any opposing counsels on any case that you had that like i'm taking this break during this time Mm. because you could file an ex parte motion or restraining order at any time if something happens and so then if your opposing counsel is out and they don't get the notice and they don't give it to you that's malpractice like i just we'd get them all the time and it was a very old school thing but i think it was smart to do because then a judge isn't going to get mad at you if you took off the 24th because christmas this year is on a monday is it sorry tuesday tuesday Tuesday. christmas eve is monday And some people work Christmas Eve. Right. They'll get Christmas Which is Day. Like, it's such a disruption to the week. And then the rest of the week. And then the same thing, like New Year's Day, they'll get off, which is like a Tuesday. So, I mean, yeah, you can have a... Really weird. Yeah, it is really weird this year. But, but yeah, we're gearing up for that kind of winter break slowdown. Um, we definitely see... We will see some clients come to us because their kids spend the primary, the majority of their time in school. And maybe they're having behaviors in school. Maybe they're not. But then all of a sudden, they're home all the time. And what happens? They have behaviors at home. And maybe it's different. Or maybe they're so good. And so it's like oftentimes something changes over winter break. Yeah. That then drives them to come to us over winter break. So it's like you would think. I mean, and a lot of families kind of check out in the sense that they try to like just enjoy the holidays and not be hyper obsessed of annual goals and all of that. Mm -hmm. But there's definitely the other side that, you know, we we don't 100% close up shop. There definitely are people who come to us at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just it's a hectic time for everyone. And I think we'll we'll talk about that in an upcoming episode, you know, traveling like 
with your child and things like that. But as we were headed towards the winter break, um, you know, there's still a couple weeks left in the school year. And we thought it would be a good episode to talk about the different remedies that Amanda and I over the years have gotten for, for different clients. And I think for us, this area of the law is so interesting because, you know, it's only been around since the 70s. It hasn't been around that long. And we have the capability, and I know we've said this several times, of being able to be creative. Mm-hmm. So it's an individualized education program for your child. And the remedies are are kind of individualized. Yeah. We deal with comp ed or compensatory education. I think, you know, I don't know. We've done a lot of things, so it's yes. hard. So it's hard. Today, today we're going to talk about remedies. What kind of remedies can you get going through a due process? Or in some cases, we do alternative dispute resolution that gets us remedies and what can't you get and and i think that this episode is going to be a don't think that because we say something it's automatic you can get it don't think that we if we didn't say something that you can't get it because it is that individualized these are just going to be examples of like what we've seen in the past what we've been able to get clients and and what's typically considered like that quote-unquote reasonable for depending on like the violations yeah and i think it's it's also one of those things where for special education we're able to deal with past violations. And a lot of our clients, or maybe when clients are referred, will notice that we get things changed in IEPs or or something in the future happens. And of course, when you're dealing with compensatory education, it's it's trying to, in a sense, make the child whole for example, not having speech and language services for six months. But it's not just like, hey, he should have that one hour a month that he should have had during those six months. But he also regressed in those six months. That's a substantial violation. So we need, you know, double the hours moving forward. Because we're looking at where was the student when the violation occurred and where would they be now if the violation didn't occur? That's kind of the analysis that we need to do in terms of figuring out what kind of compensatory education and And it could reasonable. be different. And I think a lot of parents get confused because it is not an hour for hour. Actually, no. the judges do not like that. When no, you go don't. to a due process hearing and if you say, you know, oh, the child had six hours over the last six months where he was denied and then he needs another six hours just because that's what we feel like it no like you need to have an expert yeah, you need to have somebody that's able to say no actually he needs double that well and also because i think people get confused with that because there's like different types of compensatory education so where you can do hour for hour is for instance the iep was not implemented so typical example the child is supposed to get an hour of speech therapy a week for the 40 weeks of the school year because something happened maybe the speech therapist went on maternity leave or you know we had to change speech therapist that there were 12 weeks let's say that there was no speech therapy that is an analysis where we do two things we say first they missed 12 sessions so you automatically should be getting those right. 12 minimum sessions. minimum right but then because there was the delay and there was a lack of services for that time, then what do we do with that? And that's kind of where we go to with the analysis of if there is a violation that's hard to quantify what the harm is, we have to then figure out how do we compensate for that harm? So sometimes we're dealing with delays. So for example, if a child should have an IEP and the district fails to find them eligible for say a year, They finally find them eligible because maybe the parents finally got an advocate or an attorney and they figured it out. They got an assessment. Well, we could say 
They really should have had that IEP a year ago. And now they're really doing poorly versus if we had gotten the IEP right when there was an issue, maybe we would only need accommodations, whereas now we need intensive intervention. So are we looking at their two grades below grade level? And now we need to look at, you know, that that delay caused that regression. So how do you quantify like what that delay can provide you? So that's where Vicky was saying, like getting an expert to be able to say, this is where the student's at. This is where they should be at. How do we bridge that gap? And that's going to be what we're going to look at in terms of how many hours, because sometimes it's about an hours. Sometimes it's about what type of program is it? Right. It's not just tutoring. Well, that's what I was going to say about like services too like let's say if they didn't get their speech and language services maybe that expert is now going to say well there's a different technique or strategy that right. also needs to be used in conjuncture and that can only be done an, in an hour and a half segments I've had that where like an expert has said that and and you know obviously there's ways to go about it if, if you don't have an expert but that was just something like at the forefront of my mind when we're dealing with an analysis after we've reviewed records and like we've seen what the violations yeah, yeah. are. And and in looking and, and being creative, there is a lot that we can do in terms of, you know, we think about like a car accident, for example, and you're going to get, you're going to have your actual damages. So you're going to have the, the repairs to your car. You're going to have the medical bills that need to be paid. You're going to have those things that, that you can quantify. But then there's the, well, there's been harm to me. I'm traumatizing counseling. I takes a while to get back into the car to be able to feel comfortable driving that like pain and suffering type. It's not a eye for an eye type of, of remedy because like the medical bills are very easy, right? You know what the damage is. Mm -hmm. There's a hundred thousand dollars of medical bills, bills. pay the hundred thousand dollars of medical bills. But then how do you quantify like that trauma? So the same can be said with, IEPs. There are violations that 100% you would look at a direct remedy. So right. the IEP team refuses to conduct a central auditory processing assessment. Mm -hmm. The remedy is they have to conduct their auditory processing assessment. Mm -hmm. And maybe because of the delay, you're entitled to an independent assessor mm -hmm. rather than district's assessor. Mm -hmm. So that's like a direct correlation remedy, a one-for-one -one type remedy. But then there's violations like the district failed to provide the records within five business days right. after parent requested, or the district impeded parental participation in the IEP process. So let's say a parent goes to an IEP, feels that they're not being able to participate because they're not getting the correct information, so they're not able to ask for the appropriate services. And their ultimate goal, of course, it is to participate in the IEP process, but you can't go back in time to that IEP. What right. you really want is they want the services that they wanted to be able to ask for in the IEP. So you can get those services, but then how do we compensate for the fact that they weren't participating? It's harder. We can't go back in time. So it's harder to remedy those. That's where we sometimes are creative where a lot of times we get a number of violations that don't really have direct remedies. So we can then say, you have these like 10 minor violations. So we think we're entitled to comp ed in this amount of hours because it seems reasonable. Yeah, especially when there's a child that's younger and, you know, we don't want to go. Oftentimes parents are like, I just want a non-public school. Like, I just want to get there. And it's a very restrictive program. And, and yes, there have been times where the child has possibly been in a general education program skipped over the special day class and we were able to negotiate a non-public school or, or private school that would be appropriate for the child. But 
that's all in the analysis of the violations. And I think that sometimes when we get referrals, you know, parents are just like, well, this happened for Mikey. And so this is exactly what I want. And it's like, Mikey was a completely different case. And, and that's hard because parents like consistency in services, but ours is one that cannot be consistent because it's based on on individuals. And, you know, Amanda and I can have very similar cases, but we end up at very different results and remedies for for the child. And at a certain point, we could get a non-public school placement as a form of compensatory education for two years worth of violations where mm-hmm. the child just made no progress on their goals. You know, then they stopped showing up to school. And, you know, we would love for that child to get the credits or, you know, we see this in high school, you know, so that they could graduate on time. But sometimes it's just like it's so bad. The child is in such a bad position and we don't even trust you school because we right. always try to start with Look, we're your attorneys, and if we review the records and we find that, yes, there are violations, we always try to be as collaborative as possible at first if if we don't have to file, right? So then you might want the private setting, and maybe we'll start there, but we'll end up with the school providing it. Sometimes it's easier for the school to provide it. Your kid can go after school. Maybe let's say it's one-to-one tutoring. It's your special day teacher. She's going to stay an hour after school every other day, and so your child is getting taught by... By the person that they know and trust, and right. you already have easy communication. Right. Whereas sometimes we leave that on the table and we want non-public agencies. For us, it's a form of data collection where we have an outside agency like telling us the levels of the kid and doing that. Right. But it just it's so different. I mean, we talk about non-public agencies, non-public schools, but I think the biggest thing with non-public schools, and Amanda and I have actually gotten quite a few children into residential treatment centers and that's a lot of money because the child is living right. at this right. at this school slash residency yeah. and it's not cheap yeah. but the violations raised to the level or right. the needs of the child raised to right. the level. Right, and so there's both that sides, right? There's the side that we have to look at the violations to figure out what would you get in a hearing based on the violations, but then it's also about the need. So there may have been a number of violations that led to severe delay in providing appropriate services that seem smaller violations, but the harm to the child is greater. So for example... A child has some beginning signs of anxiety or emotional issues, and the school should have conducted an educationally related mental health assessment the minute that they start seeing signs, but the district, they don't do it, right? So they're violating either their child fine violation or they're violating the requirement to assess in all areas of suspected stability. So that violation in itself, once they eventually assess maybe a small violation in the sense that it's not like they were supposed to provide X amount of services and they just didn't. It's 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 like a what we call a procedural violation that they didn't do the assessment on time. But what actually happens is that if the assessment isn't done on time, it's a delay in providing the services. And sometimes that that small deficit in anxiety then leads to a more severe mental health component that requires a residential treatment center. So the district may try to say, well, the violation here that you're going to be able to prove is that we didn't assess in all suspected areas suspected disability on time. And that's, well, okay, fine. And they're going to say, well, that doesn't amount to the cost of an RTC. But at the end of the day, it wasn't the actual violation and not assessing it. It was the kid also didn't get the services they needed mm-hmm. 
for a very long time. Right. So you kind of have to go to the, the root of it. But we're also going to be looking at, you know, at the time that you file the case, like what are the needs of the student? And a lot of times I get parents that come to me that are so focused on, well, I paid for all this stuff. I want to be reimbursed or right. I heard Linda Mubell is the right way to go. So mm-hmm. I want Linda Mubell. Mm-hmm. And they focus on the exterior things, mm-hmm. the things that we would say would be outside of the IEP process. Linda Mubell wouldn't be written into the IEP or right. you getting a reimbursement for the tutoring you did or the assessment that you did is not going to be part of the IEP. And so oftentimes they're clouded by those things that they fail to realize that there's two parts to it. A settlement. You have to be looking at what happened in the past and how are we remedying the past. But we also have to look towards the future and how are we preventing this from happening again in the future. Well, that's I think a different take that we take, right, as a firm. So that you know, there's there's plenty of firms out there that are just file and make up for the past, and then it's like okay, bye, like to the parent. And I, right. I think because of the way that our services under our private law firm work is typically parents were on retainer. So it's a yearly kind of care maintenance package, right? So we're able to file and we're able to try and look towards the future and maybe make those changes in the IEP. Now, doesn't mean that we don't do that in the nonprofit either. We do. It's just we don't have as much control. We can wrap up the things in the past and we can try to look to the future. But what's difficult is if we we don't have the resources to support the parent at an IEP after we can get all this stuff and it can be in a settlement agreement. But then it kind of goes in one ear and out the other. (laughs) Right. Well, and especially if what we're getting in a settlement agreement is assessments. Right. Right. Those assessments, we're not going to know what's recommended in those mm-hmm. assessments until those assessments are done. Right. So part of that is anticipating. So when we look at those like future remedies that we're mm-hmm. trying to get, sometimes the district will say like, oh, well, like we're not going to prospectively place right. the judge isn't going to give you that. But if we're saying we go down to the brass tacks, right? We're saying the child has an area of need of listening, comprehension and phonological processing. Let's just say. So we realize that there needs to be accommodations and goals in those areas. Right. What happens with the goals and accommodations, it leads to the need for services. And from there, it leads to placement. So, yeah, maybe a judge isn't going to automatically say that there's a need for this. But if we argue that there is a need for a change in accommodations and goals, and, and a lot of times the school district will say, well, we don't want to come up with the goals for the IEP team. We want the IEP team to do right, that. Which makes sense. But I've had times where I say, okay, fine. But we're going to have, for instance, a writing goal. And I'm going to put in the settlement agreement that the IEP team, like we'll have an IEP within 30 days in the settlement. And in those 30 days, the district is going to take data on these five areas, writing of a a full structured paragraph, articulation goal for, you know, our blends, a listening comprehension goal where they're going to restate the main idea of a story that they heard, maybe a goal. So you can say the main concept of the goal area and say that the IEP team is going to take data on that area in the next 30 days, and the IEP team is going to propose a goal based on that baseline data. You can put that in a settlement. Yeah, you. I mean, anything can be put into a settlement. Right. It depends on the parties, and it depends on what it is. Because I've had clients where the school just wants to get rid of them, right? And Or they just don't want the problem. Right. And so sometimes you have to be very careful about you know what you're getting in the future. And that sounds like, oh, okay, that makes sense. We should be able to collect that data. And you could do that outside of a settlement. Like it's not that you need it in a settlement. Amanda's using it in the context of accountability because she's going to be with 
this client and it you know if they don't do it then then it's like well now you had a settlement agreement but that you could you know because sometimes when we go to so Amanda had mentioned alternative dispute resolution sessions sometimes what we do depending on the district and depending on the case and and the parent sometimes parents don't want us to file anything so we say okay we'll try to kind of do an informal mediation I say informal because the office administrative hearings has nothing to do with it they don't send a judge it's typically the attorney for the district the and us and parent and then like a district somebody that can make decisions at those meetings you know they'll say oh well we'll offer you an assessment and it's like I can ask for this assessment outside of this so you know we're here to talk about something more so like how Amanda was saying like look maybe reimbursement that's not necessarily something in the IEP that's what those alternative dispute resolution sessions should be about if you don't agree with the IEP and you're having an alternative dispute resolution session you know be mindful you know I wouldn't say sign any contract because we've had parents that they got 10 hours of you know Linda Mubel or whatever and it was like oh my gosh you could have gotten like 80 like don't sign you know and then they give up future rights like there's always going to be the if you get something the district gets something so you have to be mindful of that or they're focusing on the one thing that like they came in for that Linda Mubel, but they're not thinking about all the other issues that they have with the IEP. And, you know, that's where sometimes we have to get creative. And mm-hmm. sometimes we have to get creative, not just for the fact of being creative, but, you know, the more that you can be open-minded to different kinds of remedies because we're not so stuck with money. And again, we cannot get monetary damages within Office of Administrative Hearing. If you ever get money in a settlement, it's usually parents are being reimbursed for something that they have paid for in the past or they're being reimbursed for something in the future. So and you don't get punitive damages right. where you're able to say and punitive damages mostly occur when, you know, you want to punish someone, right? right. You want to punish big oil company for spilling all that oil in the ocean. And so then right. they have to pay, you know, a million dollars to the ecological preserver whatever like right that is in other areas of the right. law we're just looking primarily at services and what is able to be given to the child right and and sometimes it's a matter of let's say we have a child who is overloaded has anxiety is in high school and has the capabilities of being in general education classes but is really struggling because a full course load in high school is a lot i've had cases where in those instances this child is having a lot of school refusal because of being overwhelmed so a possible remedy here is that the student is going to have a modified schedule where maybe they're going in for half the day and then they're getting some tutoring so we're incorporating that comp ed piece of that tutoring into a portion of the day maybe they're not going to take science this year maybe they're not going to take pe you know when we go back to the graduation requirements and specifically in California, we have our our requirements for getting a diploma, but then there's what are called the A through G requirements that are required for applying to UC level, University of California schools. It's a higher level. So for graduation, you're required to have one foreign language or fine arts. To go to a UC, you need like two years of a foreign language. So like there's different levels. So there are a lot of schools that have the reputation for kids going to certain colleges. So because of that, they have standards. So they say, well, all 
freshmen take this all sophomores take that well at the end of the day if the child is going to get a diploma and we don't know where they're going to be and right now they're not even going to school we need to figure out a way that we can get them to be in school have a schedule that allows them to be in classes and maybe they're not going to be on that a through g because maybe they're not going to take science this year right maybe they can make it up later or maybe Mm -hmm. they're not going to maybe they're only going to take two years of math because that's all they need maybe they'll eventually take three but at the end of the day what is our goal we have to look first at our goal our goal is to get the kid in school doing well and emotionally stable the way to do that is to figure out a way to get them in school so that may be they don't come until 10 and they leave at one Mm -hmm. and they have some tutoring to support and they're only taking three classes i've had students that do dual enrollment partial with fusion partial with high school i've had where they do independent study for some classes i mean there's there really is that flexibility and that creativity and it's it's unfortunate that and, and part of the reason why we're, we're talking about this today is that a lot of times parents don't realize that there are so many options. And unfortunately, the school districts aren't going to come up with these outside of the box examples. Right. They're not going to say, well, what about this? Sometimes they do. Sometimes they do. Sometimes yeah. they're creative. But most of the time, it's up to you and it's up to us to kind of figure out what are some alternatives? What's, how can we think outside the box to find a remedy that will work for the goal we have in mind that the school can live with putting in a settlement. Yeah, I was at a mediation and, you know, the parents wanted a one-to-one. They like their child was in the sixth grade, but that was like sixth, seventh, eighth. So it was his first year in middle school. And so they were hard set on this one-to-one and we were going back and forth. And the district absolutely wasn't going to give him a one-to-one. And like the mediator had kind of come up. They were just like, it sounds like there's some socialization issues and that's what parents are worried about. And I was like, yeah, most definitely. And she's like, well, what if the speech and language pathologist was like with him for lunch a certain amount of the time? And then she could observe. And I was just like, oh my gosh. And like the school, like loved the idea and parents are like really happy about it. And it was just like, oh wow, this is coming from the mediator. And it's just like, and I mean, I was a baby attorney, so it was like, oh, mediators are always like this, which they aren't. But that was just a, a really great, example of kind of seeing through what it was that both sides were really like adamant about and didn't think that they were going to move on and and it was like parents kind of got their one-to-one but it was now somebody that the school felt wasn't going to just be there just to babysit the kid they were actually going to do something to like resolve it and you know sometimes it just it depends. Obviously, we get to a mediation because we filed a complaint and our complaints are, are pretty lengthy. Um, we put everything on the table because there's so many little things that the districts oftentimes don't see the root cause of something. And I alluded to this in a prior podcast where all of a sudden the child's in the eighth grade and now she needs counseling. And it's like she needs counseling because she's frustrated. Well, she's frustrated because she has dyslexia and she's at a second grade reading level in all eighth grade classes. And it's like we need to target the core root or the root of the problem, which is she cannot, she's an eighth grader in reading at a second grade level and yes, counseling can help. But if she's like, I'm frustrated because I can't read, like, what is the school counselor going to help with? Like, yes, with the breathing and the this and the that. But when the kid knows what's wrong and then they need the help and they're literally crying out for help, there's not too much. And, you know, it's hard because you want to be able to explain that, you know, it might be good to try it out because, you know, because parents are like, well, I don't want this extra service. She's going to be pulled out and this and other thing. And it's just like, yeah, but it might be useful to get somebody else on the team. Right. 
to be able to vocalize on behalf of your child that she keeps saying the same thing. I can't read at an eighth grade level. And so maybe that, and I've seen that kind right. of help push, push yeah. through like the solution. But I think for us at the alternative dispute resolution sessions, which a lot of parents may be able to find themselves, you're not rushing to try to have those because you just had an IEP and you don't like the goals. That that's right. not what it's for. It's it's really for, you know, maybe you've had a year, a year and a half where your child just hasn't made progress on the goals and they're refusing to take data or you have asked them to take data and they just haven't. And so now you need to go up a notch above these right. people at the IEP right. team and say I've asked them to do this several times because I've, you know, sometimes we'll just call up a director just to set a meeting up and on a follow-up call, we'll be having the meeting over the phone because they're like, I took a look at the records and I hear what you're saying. So what is it that you want? And it's just like, okay, well, I know I'm an attorney and maybe a parent wouldn't necessarily, but also in the the alternative, sometimes you're going to a resolution session because the IEP team wants to change something. They want to take away speech or they want to decrease it or they want to take away, they want to move from a non-public agency to a school district um, employee can, doing the PT or they want to change the program or the placement. And that's one remedy that parents don't think that you have to stick with whatever it is that they're offering. And due process is not always like the only way that you can get a remedy. There, there is that ability to do alternative dispute resolutions and you can do them yourselves. It's just, there are times where we encourage, if you're looking at getting remedies, we want to make sure that you're getting remedies in the right way. So one, you're not leaving anything on the table. So like we said, you're looking at the past and you're looking at the future. How can we fix things moving forward so that it doesn't happen again and remedy in the past? But then you also have to make sure that there's accountability. So when if you come to a settlement agreement that has your remedies, you want to make sure that that settlement agreement is clear. Is crystal clear. Like yeah. how many times there shouldn't be any other... loopholes. And and that's where, you know, we get questions all the time. Um, obviously, through the Inclusive Education Project, we have advocates but they're supervised by attorneys. And we get questions from people all the time. Should I go with an attorney or should I go with an advocate? There's obviously advantageous to, to do one or the other. There's advantages, there's disadvantages. But one thing we can say at the end of the day, if you're negotiating a settlement, it should be done through an attorney because that is the work of an attorney. Um, right. It is the as, practice of As law. much as the district is like, oh yeah, I'll go draft up the agreement. Like there's no way that an attorney hasn't at least given them a template for that. And and that's right. something that um, this past summer I did for a client through the Inclusive Education Project. She was referred to us and she had gotten a settlement agreement and, you know, I had to turn around and, and negotiate our attorney's fees because that is also something that can be awarded that I'll get to as soon as my story's over. But essentially what ended up happening was they had all this language in there that it was just like, there's no way. There's like so and, many loopholes. Yeah. And, and sometimes, you know, if you're supposed to have an IEP meeting in 30 days, that should say that in the settlement agreement. And that's easy if it's 30 days. If it's a couple months from now, then it's like, I need to have this IEP meeting before the end of the year. The end of the year is June 15th. We should not have an IEP later than June 1st. And, uh, you know, we'll try to the best of our ability to have an IEP meeting by June 1st. If that date doesn't work, you know, there's two more weeks that, you know, one of the dates and right. everybody has to try to make themselves available right. and like have those things. Because so often if you don't have somebody that's on top of it, which is what we would do if we would be following up with a yearly client is to make sure because so many things fall through the loops right. that 
settlement agreement gets handed to somebody else who's kind of given the the bullet points or we've been told by some people at some districts that they give their they don't even show the teacher the settlement agreement which the teacher has obligations in the settlement agreement that should be seeing it they'll get like a little outline and it's like that outline might not be enough right well and and that goes to like looking at like auxiliary remedies that you can get like when you start looking at language of an agreement like the timeline for when things should happen like for example if we're going to be putting in to the IEP that the student is going to receive an evidence-based multi-sensory reading intervention program an hour a day well there should be language about when is it going to start yes it's going to start within five days of execution of the Mm -hmm. agreement you know how are parents going to be notified about the progress well parents are going to get you know weekly reports or bi-weekly reports or something right so those are things that you can ask for as a remedy as part of the remedy and so you know or a communication log making sure that people are are providing you communication that they provide you data on a regular basis like yes some of these things you can ask for it through the IEP process but they're not always going to give it to you and so this ensures that you have that accountability a little bit better and that you can kind of have that security that okay what we're putting in this settlement agreement as a remedy that you're going to get is actually going to happen and so just to kind of wrap things up I know I alluded to um, attorney's fees under the IDEA and it does provide in any action or proceeding, which a due process falls under that the court in its discretion may award reasonable attorney's fees as part of the cost to the prevailing party. Right. So we're assuming here parent would be the prevailing party. And it's something where, you know, oftentimes we get parents and they they think, oh, well, the school district pays you or you work for the school district. We have no affiliation with any school district. This is just under the law. The regular practice is that, yes, if we reach a settlement agreement or we win a due process hearing that and we, we obviously win, we're the prevailing party, then we will get attorney's fees. Mediation, no one's a winner per se, but like we had said before, everything is on the table to be negotiated. And so that's something that a lot of parents don't understand. Just because my attorney's fees are $10,000 at this mediation doesn't mean that I'm walking away with $10,000. It's something that a court even may look at attorney's fees. And if you have 50,000 at the hearing, you know, you may only be awarded, we have to do like a separate thing where we have to go outside of that um, due process hearing to get our reasonable attorney's fees. But that 50,000 might come down real quick to 30 because it's all at the discretion of the court. So, you know, if, if you're coming to our office and you're like, well, you're going to get paid anyway, or this and other thing, it's just like, well, no, you don't really understand. And that's just like a very brief overview um, of, yeah, of an award. Yeah, but it could be another remedy that, that you get as a parent. So hopefully that kind of gave you some ideas of some of the remedies that we've gotten in the past. Obviously, they're very different cases. Or if a man and I have very similar cases, we can just, depending on the parent, depending on the right. student depending on the district get completely different Well, because also the, like sometimes you get things for the kid and they have to be able to buy into it right so you know yeah. the parent could you know ask until they're blue in the face right. for counseling but right. if the kid's gonna go in there and not say a word what is it yeah, yeah is it it's a beneficial remedy like we need yeah. to make sure that they're gonna buy into it and that it's gonna and that it's gonna work too right. so that's the other things that we have to we have to always think about that mm-hmm. you know we're looking at to the child and and what's gonna be in the best interest of that child so oh man i feel like i'm gonna we're, we're actually recording at, at vicky's house and i'm like comfortable on a couch and we're normally not on the couch i feel like i could like fall asleep right now 
I'm so comfortable. I mean, it is a comfortable couch, but hopefully uh, you guys are somewhere comfortable. You're getting ready for the craziness of the holidays. We will um, have, I think, another, we'll have a couple of um, live recordings in December. I think after this one, there's one more, and then we're going to have kind of repeats of some of our most popular podcasts. Yeah, our top hits. (laughs) But uh, please keep sending any topics that you wish for us to um, discuss. We're always checking the Facebook I know Amanda did right before we started to see if there was any anything that anybody wanted to talk about so we totally take that into consideration and keep keep sending that stuff in to give us new material for 2019 we'll talk to you next week bye bye